My name is Mark Vina of More Insights and Strategy. Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, home security, and console gaming related. Today is July 2nd, 2020. I hope all of you are planning to have a great July 4th holiday weekend, and I am thrilled to have a couple of guests on to talk about a couple of topics that are very, very important uh, to me and, you know, and very important, I think, to the tech industry in general. And that is, I want to talk about Microsoft's announcements, uh, Microsoft, the Microsoft announcement last week that they were shutting down all of the retail stores uh, for reasons that we'll get into in a few moments. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get a couple of perspectives on that, different perspectives. I thought the timing was a bit curious, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, and uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about, and I can't resist talking about this because I haven't talked to these two gentlemen in some time, is some just post-Apple Apple WWDC commentary since we're still kind of um, you know, uh, carving through all the implications of the, the fairly significant announcements that Apple made last week at WWDC. Uh, so for a robust discussion on those two topics, I'm pleased to introduce Dwight Silverman, the technology columnist uh, for the Houston Chronicle, and Stephen Baker. And Steve, Steve I'm going to um, uh, tip my hat to you. I consider you the Dean of Technology Retail at NPD. Uh, so both of you, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks a lot, Mark. Dwight, you're still there. Hey, I'm glad to have yeah. both of you on here. And by the way, I just got to say one, a shout out to Dwight Silverman. If any of, anybody listening to the podcast ever visits Houston and want, wants to um, experience uh, great restaurants, uh, Dwight's uh, social media posts are among the best you can. I mean, Dwight, you, uh, even when I lived in Houston, when, we, uh, when, we, uh, when I was at Compact, I just love the places that you discover. You know, especially for hamburgers. I know you're a hamburger guy. So it's always great kind of, I always kind of like to scan yourself. It's better than Yelp, frankly, finding great restaurants there. But uh, let's, let, let's, let, I want to, uh, <laughs> there used to be the mobile travel guide. Now there could be the Dwight Silverman uh, travel guide. That, that, you should check to see if that domain's been taken. Um, yeah. But let, let, let's talk about this big Microsoft uh, topic. Let's talk about this big Microsoft topic that was um, uh, teed up uh, last week, and that is the the, the uh, uh, announcement about uh, the uh, decision for them to um, uh, uh, essentially shut down all their stores. I, I, I was myself kind of taken back by that just a bit. Um, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, retail has been dramatically impacted by um, COVID-19 across the board, not just in the technology space, the restaurant space has been, of course, significantly impacted by this. But Stephen, I wanted to tee this up for you because, you know, you're the kind of the retail guru that I like to go to to understand, you know, um, the, you know, the kind of behind the scenes decisions for this. I mean, the Microsoft stores, you know, they did have a very, very wide network. They were in some terrific locations, generally very close to Apple stores, sometimes right across from each other in the same mall, but generally, I think that the, there's a very high percentage of them that are less than a, than a mile from the um, Apple stores, which makes sense because you want to go where the traffic is. But you know, what's your take on exactly what happened there, and maybe the motivation beside why uh, Microsoft decided to shut those stores down? Uh, sure, and, and thanks again for having you, Mark. Uh, it's a, it, there's a lot of different uh, ways you can approach that question. I think from a pure retail. Uh, perspective. It was a good time to do that. We're obviously in this period where a lot of retail is kind of readjusting what its value proposition is. Um, in our tracking across about 20 different uh, general merchandise categories, uh, tech is pretty much the most online 
category of all the different things that NPD tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, over 50% of revenue now comes from online sales. So the value proposition that retail had for Microsoft in 2009, 2011 um, is very different today than it was then. Um, mm-hmm. I think we all we need to really look back at what happened then that made them want to open these stores. Um, clearly, you know, that was part of this, the win seven to win eight transition. Transition, right. Uh, let me also add the one that I think most tech people aren't going to be thinking about. Um, retail was in distress at that point as well. And in the mm-hmm. last three years of that point, two of the three largest uh, retail tech uh, retailers uh, Circuit City and CompUSA had just closed. Um, the manufacturers, the OEMs of Windows PCs, were desperately looking for other places to sell computers. We can mm-hmm. also look back, that was a period in time where Best Buy was struggling. Um, and the manufacturers were all very concerned about how they were going to get in front of consumers at that point in time. So not only were the Microsoft stores at that point a place for them to start to develop the Surface brand, but it was a way for them to provide another outlet for a lot of the OEMs. And certainly in the first right. few years of the stores being open, um, a big chunk of what went on there was not just Surface, but it was Dell and HP and Acer and others. Yeah, so I, I think it's important here, and I want to get into this because you and I had kind of a spirited uh, back and forth banter on Facebook um, on on this topic. Let, let's because I, I, you know, again, you know, people have tend to have short memories. From your perspective, and I and I, I suspect I will agree with it because you do know what uh, the what the motivation was for the audience. What was the original mission? of the Microsoft stories, because I think that's really important, uh, important to understand because you can't really understand, you know, the other issues and everything that, you know, that, that like you talked about the, the state of retail at the time, the consolidation that was going on, because again, I think people, you know, if you look at retail, you know, back in the late 1990s versus where retail is today, it's a dramatically different space. It's a much more consolidated space when it was back in 1995 when you had guys like Circuit City and, and, and uh, CompUSA to, you know, to whip out a name from the past around. So from your perspective, um, uh, Stephen, what was Microsoft's original motivation? So, like I said, I think it was a dual motivation there, or maybe even a tri-motivation. One was you know, building up the Surface brand mm-hmm. as a, a hardware opportunity for them to be able to, to develop the Windows ecosystem and create uh, something that was um, a little bit bigger than just Surface, but finding places to put Surface in there, uh, in retail and in places to make it um, make it work. And, develop the kind of traffic because certainly surface wouldn't have been the only way to do that. So right. it was building the brand, building windows and building the ecosystem. And I think, you know, we could talk all this stuff about uh, Microsoft stores versus Apple stores. And most of that stuff is discussed by people who don't know anything about retail. Uh, tech, <laughs> in general, tech in general hates retail. 
um, absolutely hates retail. Um, but here's the thing, as you said, um, most of the Microsoft stores opened far later than the Apple stores did. Mm -hmm. Apple stores were in the best locations. So, of course, Microsoft was going to open all their stores near where, where Apple was because Apple had already opened in all the other good locations. Yes, right. Them to be in terrible spaces. So, um, was it Apple envy? Uh, I don't know. But I think when you look at the long-term challenge, what ended up happening with the Microsoft stores really is the difficulty and the difference between why Apple maybe can succeed or succeeds and Microsoft didn't is Apple is a brand store. Apple mm -hmm. is focused on Apple, focused on Apple products, has a variety of products that drive different levels of traffic. Whereas Microsoft for a long time was trying to drive an ecosystem store, which is a mm -hmm. retail store. And that's right. a lot to do, certainly in, especially in the environment that we've come into in the last five or six years. It was inevitable, um, and we could all certainly see the writing on the wall that they were going to de-emphasize or even close the stores. They weren't promoting them. They didn't have deals. They didn't have as many email blasts. They were clearly resetting what they were doing. And I think at that point, uh, given all the challenges with physical retail today, they made a decision that it was a good point in time to exit and go direct just to the online world. Right. So, so Dwight, you know, I want to bring you into the conversation here because I think, you know, Stephen made an, uh, makes an important point, and that's why I kind of asked him the, the question twice, is that the original Surface products, you know, that Microsoft announced and, and the Surface brand and the Surface um, product line has come a long way since the original introduction of their original um, uh, um, models they introduced uh, years ago. You know, Microsoft's motivation there was they, you know, I like to say they wanted to keep the OEMs honest and meaning that, hey, you know, not that they thought that Microsoft, uh, that I, I, don't, I never thought Microsoft thought that they were going to sell, you know, millions and millions of Microsoft Surface products. They wanted, I think they wanted a position where they could come out with really best in class products to show the world, hey, you know, if you want to want to see a, a best in class Windows notebook, you know, here's something to consider. And they needed a retail format to show them off. So obviously the, uh, the Microsoft stores, you know, um, you know, became that opportunity for them. But from your perspective, um, Dwight, we were talking about this for a few minutes before we got on the uh, on the on the uh, on the podcast. You know, the, uh, if you flash back back to that original time, you know, when, you know, Microsoft had something called Windows Phones. So let's talk about that from your perspective because I think that also played a role. You know, when when the stores originally opened, because it was a different world. Yeah. And yes, and, and, and that kind of keys off the uh, the, the Windows ecosystem uh, idea that uh, Stephen mentioned. The Windows Phone, you know, was came at the same time as um, as a Surface, about the same time. Yeah, I think it predates it actually a little bit. And uh, at that time, it already was a two-player game. You know, uh, Apple and uh, and Google with their iOS and Android, you know, essentially had kind of dominated the market and the Microsoft thought it could, it could muscle its way in. And the Windows phone actually was pretty good. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people who, when it went, when it went away, you know, thought oh, the, uh, the best internet. 
interface. And I think that the, um, uh, and I think you had to see it. It was one of those things where you really needed to actually see it. Microsoft also had at the time in the pipeline with the Xbox, the Kinect, and which, which turned uh, video games into something more akin to physical exercise. And that mm-hmm. also required you to see it and experience it. And so the stores um, at the time were a perfect showcase for that kind of thing. And that was all part of the Windows ecosystem. Right. The other interesting thing that I thought, and I was kind of sad that this went away, even before the stores closed, was the Signature Edition PC. And this was, you know, you talked about wanting to keep OEMs honest. Microsoft had railed for years about crapware and bloatware mm-hmm. on, uh, on third-party PCs. And to a certain extent, the Surface was a proof of concept saying, look, guys, here's how it's done. Yeah, <laughs> right. Here's how we want it to be done. <clears throat> so they sold these, these systems in their stores. And if I believe, if I'm not, if I'm correct, this was the only systems early on that they sold in their stores were the signature edition PCs that were essentially stripped of the crap that they put on, uh, that OEMs put on their systems. So Microsoft was trying to say, look, you know, you come into these stores, you'll have a better Windows experience. You can interconnect all these things. You can try things that we think are innovative and you can see them and touch them. Uh, and I think kind of with all of that, it made, it made a lot of sense at the time. But I don't think Microsoft's marketing muscle, even from the beginning, was flexing well at that time. I think they had a difficult time getting people to come into the stores and stay in the stores. Even from the very beginning, when you walked by their stores, they were relatively empty compared to um, Apple stores. And what's funny is uh, just about a year, year and a half ago, Samsung opened one of its few Samsung Experience stores in the uh, in the Galleria near uh, where both the Apple store and the Microsoft store is. And early on, the Samsung store was putting both the Apple store and the Microsoft store to shame in terms of crowds. There were huge crowds. Uh-huh. Right. So I think, so I think, I think that um, I, I agree with Stephen that, that the, the COVID-19 shutdown was an opportune time. The stores were already empty. They had removed merchandise already. I think it probably was something they had wanted to do, but, but the, uh, the lockdowns gave them a really good opportunity to actually do it. Well, you know what they say, you know, you, if you have bad news, you know, you always do it on a Friday. <laughs> so, yeah. because yeah. In the old days, you know, when there was just newspapers, because people didn't read the, you know, they, they really didn't care about the news over the weekend. I'm not sure that that maxim is true anymore. That's yeah, not age, true, no. In, in the internet. But, you know, I, I would make a couple of points here just to, you know, talk about what both you guys have um, talked about, uh, is that, you know, first and foremost, Apple had some advantages, even during the early days, you know, when they had the, um, uh, the, um, the, the iPod and then, of course, the iPhone. Those were great, you know, I'm going to use a, an old retail phrase, anchor products that were, you know, that were allowed Apple to, you know, drag people literally into the stores, you know, and, of course, they, the, the iPad followed that very quickly. And Microsoft never really had an anchor product. I, I think to your point, Dwight, they, they would love the uh, Windows mobile phones to be those, um, that, to become an anchor product, but that really never happened for a whole bunch of reasons. And the other comment that I would make is that, you know, in general, I really thought the Microsoft stores from a concept standpoint 
were executed very well. I certainly, Stephen, to your, you know, to the comment you made. I mean, I think you know, uh, imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. I mean, uh, sure, you know, Microsoft, uh, Apple did tremendous amount of, of of research before they opened their stores, and sure, they're going to put them in the best locations from a from an income standpoint, from a from a geographic location standpoint. So I don't begrudge Microsoft for a second for putting those st- stores near um, where the Apple stores were. However. You know, I would make the comment that, you know, you talk about ecosystem and certainly there's a, there's a Microsoft Windows ecosystem. The, 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 the challenge that Windows um, ecosystem players have, especially when you walked into a Microsoft store, is that the OEMs, you know, love to have Windows applied on their systems and, and, it ha- and they have unique um, ecos- um, ecosystem, right? a unique look and feel. For example, you buy a Dell versus a Lenovo versus an HP system. And if I'm one of those OEMs, I want my systems to have kind of a unique Dell feel or an HP feel or a Lenovo feel. And then all of a sudden, that consumer gets pretty confused because all of a sudden, yeah, I'm using the same software and essentially the same product, but it looks a bit different. It it interacts with me in a bit different way. The advantage that Apple has is that when you walk into an Apple store, all those products tie into the Apple ecosystems, and they have co- you have a common experience that contributes to that customer experience. And I, I never really thought, you know, and it, it's really not a retail question. It goes to more that that's the challenges you have with a with a with a Windows system versus an Apple system, is that it does have a bit of a fractured feel when you're working when you're working with a Windows product, and uh, to the point you made. Um, uh, uh, Dwight, you know, the, if you were, and I love that, you know, that phrase, it continues to haunt people who've worked for any of the PC OEMs, that, that phrase crapware, there, is, there used to be, it's gotten a lot better over the years, but there was a time when, you know, you, sh- uh, when you saw a Windows, and I'll just use a, a compact Presario, where, you know, a co- half of the hard drive was filled up with a lot of software that you were never going to use, right. and, you know, and, right. uh, and, you, and, and I know, you, go ahead. And I, I know that if you go into now and look at uh, the software load on uh, a Windows PC, there is certainly is a lot less of it. What, what's interesting is there's more kind of crapware and bloatware from Microsoft itself uh, than there is often from the from the OEMs. Uh, you right. know, there's a lot of stuff that they. I mean, do you really need a copy of Farmville on your Windows 10 PC? So, um, <laughs> so, so I think that I, you know, it's it's it certainly has gotten better. The which which may explain why the signature edition PC program ended. Uh, mm-hmm. What's interesting is when I did this, when I did my, my column that ran today about this, and I tried to ask Microsoft why, what happened to the signature edition PC and, uh, pr- program and where did it go and why did it end? They would not talk about it. They just they did that we have nothing to share. And interesting. Which says to me either that they what they didn't want to say is they didn't want to badmouth their OEMs or that there's something cooking that's coming. Um, you know, the when they close the stores, one of the things they said they're, they're going to take four of them and turn them into experience stores. And, and maybe Stephen has more detail on what that means. But it, what it sounds like is like a services, uh, business enterprise sale uh, showroom. And, and showroom, in the sense, you go in there and you look at stuff and then order it elsewhere, or maybe order it from there. It's not there. Um, and, and again, maybe Stephen has something. Yeah, Stephen, do you have any insight? In, yeah, Stephen, do you have any, any insight into that? I, I don't think. I, I think you're giving the term "experience store" too much credit. Um, I, I, from what I can tell, there, it's not going to be um, inviting anyone to come in 
they're not going to really have any ordering. It's going to be much more of a, um, you know, here is where, uh, as you said, you know, um, you bring corporate customers in to show them, you know, Azure and, and other kinds of things. I, I, I really think it's not at all about um, hardware specifically, but much more about a much broader view of the things that Microsoft in 2020 cares about, which is um, cloud and, and commercial type products. This is actually a good segue, um, Stephen. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to get into WWDC in a second. But Apple obviously has a big announcement, um, or, you know, if they follow their usual cadence when they come out with their new phones in the um, early September timeframe, if that does happen. Um, you know, Apple has been backtracking lately. They did, they did open a bunch of stores during COVID-19 just recently. Now in several locations, they're shutting those stores down. What's your take on the impact um, to Apple's iPhone business, at least at the early going, if, if a bunch of stores are not open for, what, for, you know, let's say for the sake of argument that the states, does, you, know, um, you know, provide further guidance that many locations should ma- maintain on lockdown. Do you think that significantly impacts them? I mean, that's, I know that's a loaded question, of yeah. course, but because they do a lot of business online and in retail and they're, you know, <laughs> they're, they're Apple people. There are Apple people out there that will just order anything from Apple without ever seeing it. So there's a, there's a, there's a part of the audience who are like that, but I'd like your perspective on that. Sure. Um, phones in general are um, one of the least purchased online products in technology. Um, People are concerned. They want to touch it. They want to feel it. They don't exactly know how to manage a uh, a service contract. Um, For the most part, the carriers don't have great online selling uh, tools. So those aren't great, uh, a great experience either. Most of what ends up getting sold online is unlocked. And those mm-hmm. kind of things. So, does Apple want stores open? They don't just want their stores open. They oh, want yeah. <laughs> stores open and all that other stuff too, because right. a huge percentage of the volume that happens online, I, I mean, sorry, that happens on phones for phone sales, whether it's Apple or anybody, happens in stores. And um, yes, it would be a challenge to be able to. to comp the right volumes that they're going to want to comp and to be able to get the right kind of thing out there. In fact, if we look and, you know, if you you follow some of the stuff I put on Twitter, um, tech sales have been up 20, 30% almost every single week in our mm-hmm. training over the last eight or 10 weeks. Record right. sales growth. Um, right. The only segment that is not growing um, that, that sales growth does not include phones, but it does include phone accessories. And the mm-hmm. only thing that isn't growing in that business is phone accessories. People aren't mm-hmm. buying power. They're not buying cases. They're not buying any of those things because they're not buying phones. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a very difficult situation. And without the power of retail, um, I to assist that, to assist that sale, yeah, no, yeah, you know, and and I would just make one final point so we can kind of move on to the WWDC topic is that um, 
you know, let's face it, the, the, the phones that are sell, you know, when you're considering to buy a $1,500 phone, a $1,200 phone at those kind of price points, you know, you do want to go into a store and touch and feel it. You know, that's still a very expensive price point for the average person making, you know, 50 or $60,000 a year. That's a considered purchase. So I think you're absolutely right that um, the Apple stores, I mean, there's, a, and I would say all stores in general, of course, to, to, to move it beyond just the Apple store format. But I obviously think that Apple would like to see as much as retail, you know, firing in all circle, uh, on all um, uh, cylinders when, um, uh, when uh, the uh, their new uh, phones are announced, and by the way, too, let's let's face it: when someone buys a phone, and this is all, always the remarkable thing about the Apple um, uh, phenomenon, is that when someone bought, goes into an Apple store and buys an iPad or an iPhone, they buy a lot of accessories with it at the same time. They just don't buy the phone. Yeah, sure, there are some customers who are just replacing a phone, but many many times, you know, they may spend ten or fifteen or twenty percent of the purchase price on the phone on accessories. So it is, an, it is an important thing. Let, let's shift gears for a second uh, for just the last few minutes of the podcast that we have and talk about WWDC. Uh, Dwight, what were your you know, couple, two, three takeaways uh, from, uh, from that big, uh, from the big event? Well, I think probably the, the biggest takeaway obviously was Apple's uh, formally announcing that they are switching to their own silicon for Macs. Uh, that that is that is a huge deal, and um, and you know, the fact that uh, somebody had said that the fact that they're doing a they're able to do this in two years uh, is just uh, astonishing. In fact, that was Steve Sanofsky, uh, who's the former president of, of the Windows division, and correct, yes. was Mister Office for years and years. He basically said that Apple's. Uh, you know, Apple is fearless and that this is the biggest engineering coup he's seen. And, you know, the reason they're doing this is many reasons. Number one is they they think their silicon now can outrun Intel. Uh, it's cheaper for them to do their own silicon. They're not at, they're not essentially uh, at the whims of Intel in terms of what they're doing with their processors. And uh, and I think it also uh, we'll be able to bring some pretty significant new capabilities to um, to Macs. You know, for a lo- there are no Macs right now with cellular capabilities built into them. But you know, if they're using their own systems on a chip that are designed normally for mobile, I think it's a kind of a no-brainer and relatively low cost for them to include it. Right. So it, it brings all kinds of you know. It makes suddenly Macs become a lot more interesting and. Um, uh, and so I think I think that that is one of the biggest things. What's really interesting is that uh, despite the fact that their NDA agreements say they can't do it, a lot of the developers who've gotten these early Mac Minis with um, with uh, Apple Silicon yeah. in them yes. have been doing benchmarks, and they're not exposing. But the benchmarks are kind of really impressive, even running w- with the Rosetta emulation. Yes. So um, yep. uh, it make, uh, I'm certainly really excited about it. Uh, probably my ne- my next Mac will be uh, one running Apple Silicon. Well, and I think you really nailed it on the head. Is that you know this, this is their move to um, their own in-house Apple Silicon, which is now their kind of brand for this for that ca- uh, that ingredient in their products. Um, this this was didn't it didn't surprise anyone in that it's been rumored for about what two three years. In fact, uh, Pat Moorhead, yeah, who is yeah. the yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been he's been predicting this for the last couple of years. He's done some terrific deep dive pieces on this very topic. But I only think Mike, uh, Apple would have done this unless they had a roadmap. 
you know, the reason why they moved from PowerPC to Intel uh, in the early 2000s is that essentially the PowerPC platform was out of gas. You know, there was really no headroom right. to it. And I really right. think they know, I mean, because Apple is a very forward-looking company. I think, I think they know that they have a roadmap that's probably a 10 or 15-year roadmap where they can get scale and where they, can, they know that there's levels of performance they can drive because they can op- optimize the operating system. You know, better battery life, maybe even smaller batteries because the, the operating system is much more efficient. Um, bring those code bases together, frees up tremendous amounts of resource frankly, and I think that's, an, I mean, I think there's a lot of open questions, frankly, are they, is, is iOS and Mac OS going to merge at some point? I mean, if you believe Apple, the answer is no, but who knows? I mean, it certainly, it certainly keeps that door open. Uh, uh, Stephen, from your perspective, you know, from looking at it from a retail point of view, uh, what was the big takeaway from you? And, 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 I, and I'm, it's kind of a, uh, this is kind of like a, an 80 mile uh, fastball down the middle here is that what role do you think retail will play and in, in Apple's transition to their Apple Silicon products, because I think there will be an important role retail will play. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Apple has, um, over the last couple of years, actually um, kind of refocused their uh, Mac business on, on third-party retail. Mm-hmm. And they added uh, both Amazon and Costco to their retail partners. Right. Uh, and by virtue of that, really started to think about, I think, in a lot different kind of way than when Best Buy was their primary partner, um, how they can take share uh, from other from the other guys, mm-hmm. and how, or probably more reasonably, how they can grow uh, their own business uh, by being in more places where people buy computers and. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the question for me around this is um, what does it do to uh, price points? Mm-hmm. I think that's the most uh, meaningful issue. All these other things are very technical in my mind, and they're interesting for analysts to talk about. But if Apple wants to be a mainstream PC company, then they have to think about price points. And well, the, well and, and that's a $64,000 question because moving to Apple Silicon, the business um, answer is that obviously that allows them to uh, probably free up $100, $150 of, of, um, yeah. of value. Uh, you know, Pat's made this point um, uh, several t- uh, several times. And, you know, will Apple take that $100, $150, and will they, um, you know, try to go to lower price points? That's not Apple. That's not – that's typically – not been Apple strategy because they like to play at the high end, although they've gotten more aggressive in the iPhone space with lower end uh, iPhones. Um, yep, they have. That's very aggressively priced. That is true. That is true. The entry, when, when the entry level iPad is on sale for $249, um, that's one of the Does. best values in fact. Yep. No, that, that, that all is true. That is all true. I, I, I think that, you know, the, 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 but I think you would admit this, uh, Stephen, is that Apple likes to maintain its, its aura as a high-end brand. And, you know, again, you know, you talk about, tra- you know, they don't want their price points to trash the brand. I don't think that will ever happen. I think Apple knows it has to play at lower price points. Now, I, I think they probably would shy away from the word aggressive because it has different implications. But obviously, you, ha- you know, especially in different markets around the world, you have to be more sensitively priced if you want to be able to drive volume. 
And I think there's Apple has been able to figure that out because they can play at the high end and they can uh, have, they can have a presence at the low end as well. But the last, the question we really haven't answered yet though, in this big transition from Apple, from Intel Silicon to Apple uh, Silicon, um, and maybe consumers won't care. Maybe, you know, the, the fact that Apple has these products will be enough brand assurance for people to, to take that, to, to, to take that jump. Don't you think, Stephen, that retail can play a role in helping that transition? Because it's going to be a two-year window. It's not going to, I mean, on day one, Intel products are not going to go away. They're going to, they're going to coexist with Apple Silicon-based products. So when a customer walks into a store, you know, um, six, seven months from now, and they have a decision, a, a decision to make, don't you think retail can play a role from an education standpoint? Um, understand what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get at? Yeah. They certainly will. Um, I I think, though, that in, you know, I'm the retail guy, but I'm going to say this is a, it's going to be confusing. And I suspect that uh, the way they roll things out will be more focused on their own vertical channels early on um, Mm -hmm. until they have some kind of maybe critical mass in terms of products. We obviously don't know what they're going to release or when they're going to release it or how much it's going to be, but it's certainly not going to be everything. And I suspect they're not going to just wipe out the product line as it is right now. Um, So there's some interesting things they could do if they came out with, let's say a new 13 inch MacBook pro for the holiday at the current price points. Um, Mm -hmm. They could do something only in the Apple stores and use that as a way to drive uh, drive traffic to their stores um, in the short term to make sure that uh, the right customers are buying the right products. In the right. long term, it just, um, I, I think the education um, has to come from both the channel and from Apple. And um, I, I don't think that's going to be a big issue. No, I, I think, and I, and if you if you know Apple like we all know Apple, uh, I suspect they have been spending many many uh, brain cycles on figuring out how to message this transition to Apple Silicon. So that if if any company can pull that off from a messaging standpoint, Apple can. And the, the minute or so uh, time we have left, uh, Dwight, any remaining thoughts on the whole WWDC well, thing? I want to say you know that, that 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 Apple has a lot of experience doing this before. They mm-hmm. did it with uh, Motorola to PowerPC, they've done it from Intel, and probably the best message they could do is no message, it's a Mac, it'll work, don't worry Mm -hmm. about it, and then it does, that's probably the most powerful thing they could do. Mm -hmm. No, I agree agree with that, and... uh... You know, this harkens back to the days of the old Intel Inside campaign, and it's, it's a they, they're not going to do an Inside Apple campaign, but essentially that's what it is. Say, so, hey, if, if the Apple if the Apple logos on it, don't worry about the ingredients because it's just going to create a great customer right. experience. And I suspect at the end of the day that will be their message. But this has been terrific, guys. Thank you for your time uh, for participating in today's podcast. Um, uh, to the more insights and strategy audience, please follow us in our usual social media partners. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great and safe July 4th holiday weekend. 